Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 33 with our guest, Kathy Groover. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thank you for tuning in and joining us. Welcome to the studio. You know the deal. You're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Question for you. Have you ever been stressed? Now, that's, of course, a rhetorical question because if you're anything like me, you find yourself living in an environment of day-to-day stress. What in the world is that about, right? You may have a stressful job, stressful life at home, stressful relationship. I've been there for decades, and we all know how out of control life can feel. Well, I'm here to tell you firsthand that it's not actually those external circumstances that are creating the stress. Get this? It's your reaction to them. And that truth is actually a wonderful thing because it allows you the power and the ability to change your stress level. Imagine that. Who doesn't want that, right? Our guest today knows a thing or two all about this, and she's here to help us through it. It's Dr. Kathy Groover, and she's graced the stages on Four continents, including TEDx, I probably can't even name four continents, including three cruise ships, how cool is that, and a handful of islands. My goodness, that's so awesome. She hosts the TV show based on her first book, The Alternative Medicine Cabinet, and has earned her PhD in natural health. Dr. Groover is the 12-time Count them, 12-time award-winning author of seven books, including Conquer Your Stress, Workplace Wellness, Conquer Your Stress at Work, and Journey of Healing. In 2015, she had the privilege of creating a stress reduction program for the U.S. military and worked to help stop the underground sex trade in her community. I am ready to hear about all of this. Are you? Well, please help me welcome right there. It's Dr. Kathy Groover. How are you, Dr. Kathy? I'm so good. How are you? 
I'm, I'm excellent. You have, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with all this. I want to, I want an episode on every one of these topics. No joke. <laughs> so we'll try to consolidate and, and do an extraordinary job together here. Let me begin with this. You on paper, you're a natural health speaker. Let's start there. What exactly is that? Yeah, so as we talked about before we got on the air, I have an acting acting background. And so being on stage was really natural for me. I realized I wanted to reach more people than just the one-on-one clients in my office. And I thought, hey, there's this thing called motivational speaking. Let's try that. <laughs> so jumped on stage officially probably seven years ago as a speaker and have just been building that as a, as a business, as a practice. And it's been, it's been amazing. I've been all over the world, which is spectacular. So the opposite of natural health is what? Going to the traditional doctor and getting a ton of medication? Yeah, exactly. So in speaking about natural health, it's, it's, to me, it's anything your regular doctor is not going to recommend, whether it's massage and chiropractic, acupuncture, Ayurveda, herbs, even some people consider vitamins and minerals alternative. So anything to me that gives people a different choice. I'm all about giving people choices and options. And so that's where the complementary alternative medicine comes into that. It's just, it's augmenting what you're already doing, adding to those things that you already welcome into your life. Mm, spectacular. And you, like I've alluded to here, you have a focus on stress and really allowing us to see how it just takes over our lives. And I've, I've read all about how stress is a killer. And that's sort of like something that when you hear it, you're like, oh gosh, yeah, I guess it is. But until you really embrace that, you just sort of let it go. And why do we accept all this stress in our lives? It, 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 doesn't it seem like that people just accept that as an inevitable? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. I think, first of all, a lot of people wear that as a badge of honor. How you doing? Oh, I'm so stressed out. And that makes you feel important. Just because you're running around stressed doesn't mean you're actually accomplishing anything. Uh, it means you're stressed. So I think some people wear that as a badge of honor. I have been guilty of doing that as well in the past. Uh, the other thing is, our bodies are so good at creating the state of homeostasis, meaning we balance things out. So if we are so used to a certain state, at some point our bodies go, oh, I guess that's normal. I guess I'm supposed to not sleep. I guess I'm supposed to be eating too much. I guess I'm supposed to have neck pain. And we just slough that off as normal now, even though it's really an indicator that something else is going on. So I think those are just two of the reasons why the stress thing is still happening. Mm. And you've said we can, we, we can change our immune system by changing our thoughts. I love that statement. I agree with that statement only because at this part of my life, I am finally able to say, yes, I get it. That's so darn true. How you think completely colors and affects every part of you. Speak to us for a minute about that, please. Sure. You know, I still have a massage practice here in Santa Barbara and around cold and flu season, I have people scurrying into my office going, oh, I hope I don't get sick. Oh, it's June. I'm going to get sick. Oh, the kids are back in school. I'm going to get sick. Don't get near me. You'll get me sick. Don't get near me. I'll get you sick. Don't hug me. You'll get sick. You know, and what all we're reinforcing into our brain is sick, 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 sick. And that stressor, that paranoia of getting sick depletes our immune system. And it actually, well, sort of programs our subconscious, our unconscious that, yeah, we're welcoming and sick. Whereas if we say things like, I am healthy and well, 
my immune system is strong and resilient, or if we visualize boosting our immune system, studies support that we can actually do that, which is stunning to me. You can actually increase your white blood cells by thinking about it. And, you know, it's an untapped thing. We don't do that. We might, quote, visualize a parking space, as I have friends that do. But we never think to, I shouldn't say we never, that's a fast generalization, but we usually don't think about, hey, how can I program my body to be healthier by the way I'm speaking and the way I'm acting? And it's, it's fascinating. The studies are, are pouring in on stuff like that. Tell me about these, uh, let's say I know nothing about white blood cells. What exactly are they, do they do, and how can I actually influence them positively in my body? Sure. So white blood cells, oh, the, how can I make this sound right and basic? Um, white blood cells run around your body policing things. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different types of, you know, you get your, your cinephils, and there's all sorts of things. Um, and when you have a an infection or some sort of thing that you're fighting, the white blood cells conquer that. They go find that thing that's wrong and they try to fix it. They try to battle it. So by visualizing your white blood cells, and I'm sort of laughing because that was the very first visualization I was taught to do when I was 15. And I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? White, visualize white blood cells. That's ridiculous. Uh, just frankly, just visualizing either little soldiers or, you know, Pac-Man gobbling up the infection. I mean, it sounds sort of silly, but we work in symbols, we work in concepts and myths, and that's how our, our subconscious responds to things. We are so susceptible to what happens in dreams because it's those images, that visualization that, that we're actually doing to change things in our body. So whether it's just saying, my immune system is strong, or whether it's actually doing a whole visualization, which I actually have an MP3 of, anybody wants it, um, of boosting your immune, immune function, we can do that. We have the power in us to do that. I find it amazing because I am um, about a half a year into consistent, nightly, deliberate meditation. I cannot and will not go a day without it. Uh, I make time for it right before I go to sleep without fail, and it has been the game changer. Prior to this year, I always just, whenever, I, I guess I wasn't ready to receive it or accept it or to understand it, because every time I heard meditation, it always rebounded off me. I sort of rolled my eyes. I didn't get it. I don't know from it. I got, I got other things to do, thanks, but no thanks. But now I get it. It's, is, all, is, is, is meditation in your world a big part of the whole. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very type A. I'm very driven, very control freak. Go, go, go. I'm an only child. My dad wanted a boy and got me. So I was raised to be the competitive football player in the house. Go Steelers, even though we lost. Um, yeah, so, and I'm a dancer. So you tell me to sit down and clear my mind and I'm like, oh, hell no. Um, and I couldn't do it. And Nobody explained why. They just said, you should meditate. <clears throat> and I realized that also that's a horrible way to start a sentence. Because if you say to somebody, you should, well, pretty much anything, they've shut you out. You should breathe. No. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I know. I have a five-year-old daughter, so I get that. Oh. It's all yeah. reverse psychology with her. Oh, but just the you should. I mean, you know, have you considered? Have you thought of? Would you like to? Is a better way, just as a side note. Um, so for years, people said you should meditate, but no one told me how or why or what that meant. And so I plopped down on the pillow and like, I'm meditating. And I, you know, your finger touched your fingers and I didn't know which one. And you get sucked into the wrong realm if you touch the wrong finger and your eyes roll up in your head, which gave me a headache and you couldn't itch anything and you cramped and it didn't matter. I mean, it was just, it was a nightmare for me. So and true. it became... 
it became my to-do list meditation as I would sit there and quiet myself for just a second and then go, oh, I forgot to call that guy back. And I would jump off the pillow and go, which, you know, as a triple Capricorn, I'm like, this meditation thing's great. I'm getting so much done. And then I realized that's not what it's for. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I've taught meditation around the world and I found ways to do it for us active, fidgety, I can't sit still for very long type A people, or if your mind wanders, which it's going to, that's what our minds do. That's part of their job. So I meditate every day, multiple times a day. Sometimes I sit on the pillow and do formal. Sometimes I just do what's called a mini meditation or I'll do some visualization, but every day, even if it's for just a couple of minutes, I set time aside for that. And it's, it's really been a life-changing thing for me. It really has been. Yeah, same here. And I like how, um, how I said in the intro, and I know that this is a, um, a motto of yours, is that you, you, can't you can't control your stress, but you can control your reaction to it. And I had such a hard time, like with the medica medication, my medication, the meditation, I had such a hard time uh, accepting that truth that like, no, 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 you don't know. It's that person at work. It's not me. I'm stressed because of them. And then something clicks and you say, wait a minute, I'm not here to change them, right? It's about how I react to it and stop making those excuses that, oh, but you don't know my life. I just need more money. I just need a different this. I just need that. Right. Oh, there's so many things I want to say. Okay. So you use the perfect example of the guy at work. He might be a jerk. Okay. I, I, I don't know. Maybe he is, but here's the situation. Um, when you're in a situation that you don't like, you really only have three choices. You can change the situation. Really hard to do. You can leave the situation. Can't always do that. Or you can change yourself. Okay. So that's not always easy either but it's the one that you have the most control over. So maybe when you start to respond differently, because it's those reactions that get us in trouble, uh, we want first responders, not first reactors. You know, no one's ever accused you of over-responding. God, Bill, calm down, you're really over-responding. Uh, we have knee-jerk reactions. We have, you know, it's those reactions that cause us to yell at the guy on the freeway and flip him off. I'm, in L I'm close to LA, so. Uh, if I respond to that, if I take a breath and take that pause and say, wow, he's really in a hurry, and I just let him go with the grace of God, why would I put myself into that stress situation? Why am I going to, <laughs> I've started asking myself, is this fight or flight worthy? I'm not in physical harm. I don't have to flee from a robber. I don't have to you know, jump into the shrubbery to avoid a bear is what I'm dealing with fight or flight worthy? And I'm glad we've had fight or flight. It's gotten us to survive till this point as, as humans. We don't really need it anymore when the boss says, I wanna see you on Monday. And now are we gonna think about that all weekend? That's not fight or flight worthy. We might want to hit him, <laughs> but we can't. So the other thing I wanted to say to, to that is it's about staying present. It's about being in the here and now because here there's no stress. The stress is someplace else. The guys at work, uh, the traffic is, you can't change any of that. So stay present. And I do a lot of studying of Eckhart Tolle's work. I'm actually going to study personally with him. Um, next year I'm doing his full like three weekends and the whole six month thing. And I'm thrilled to do that, but it's all about presence. It's about not associating with that thought and just being here. And it's hard. It's so hard, but, um, that's what it's about. 
I just, I, I just physically reacted when you said, I saw that. yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you said uh, Eckhart Tolle, and the reason I, I physically reacted was a fewfold. Uh, one, because that was, um, I was anticipating that um, introduction of his name as soon as you stopped this segment you were just on. So when you mentioned it, I was like, she's reading my mind. She's inside my head. So um, more, more to the point is that the reason I was going to bring him up is because I've spent many, many weeks, if not months, well, uh, some months ago, I was introduced to his writing through a, um, a friend gave me his book, A New Earth. So I was like, okay, never heard of him before that. Read it and was just blown away. I was like, I, this is incredible. Um, it just resonated. I got it. I loved it. I live it. It's all about living in the now. So I read A New Earth first and then I was like, okay, now I got to go back and read uh, what I'm reading now or actually uh, I have the audio version. So to and from my commutes every single morning, every single afternoon, I listened to his reading of his book, The Power of Now. It's extraordinary. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. That was my first exposure to him. Uh, and since then, literally, if you look in my car right now, it is like, I'm still a CD person. I'm sorry. I know I'm so old-fashioned. Um, I'm surprised. I still have cassette tapes of things, but no way to play them. I'm like, someone please give me a boom box again. Um, <laughs> I'm so dating myself. Uh, but, you know, like you look in my car, all the little, like, side pockets in the doors are filled with Eckhart Tolle recordings. I get the CD sets and I play them because I go to L.A. all the time from Santa Barbara. And I, I'll just randomly throw one in. I'm actually listening to him read A New Earth right now is, I think, the one I'm in the middle of. So, um, yeah, but I'm so thrilled to study with him. And anytime I am feeling stressed and overwhelmed, and I do have a, I have a crazy stressful life. I designed it that way. I kind of like it. But when things pop up that are unexpected, that are really out of my control, that throw me off my mm, trajectory of where I put myself, I, th I either throw on YouTube and I watch him just, I don't care what he's talking about. Like he just seriously grounds me, which is, which is crazy. Um, but it's a reminder. It's just that reminder of presence and pausing. Yeah, for those who don't um, really understand what that is or what that means to live in the power of now, give us that 10,000-foot view of now is not the past and now is not the future. What is now? What is all this about? Well, it's just now. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know how else to explain it. So, okay, so to, to talk about Eckhart Tolle, for those of you who aren't familiar, he talks a lot about that thought identification and identifying with that thought form and that's ego. So the ego keeps us arguing. The ego keeps us fantasizing into a negative future. The ego think, uh, uh, puts us back in the past where we're regretting something or wishing we would have done something differently. And with that past and that future, there is no future. Um, and the recording I just listened of him, he had joked and said that a, a I think it was a bar that he had visited in like Scotland had a thing on the door that said free beer tomorrow. Well, <laughs> there is no tomorrow. I mean, like every time you show up, it's never tomorrow. It's now, now. And it was just, I just laughed. I love his sense of humor with it's very subtle, but it's true. It's like, well, great free beer tomorrow. And then you show up tomorrow and it's today again. When's tomorrow. 
So in reminding yourself to stay present in this now and not projecting into these images, into these thought forms of these other things, it's just it's so much easier. It just makes life so much better and so much calmer and so much less stressful. And that's a very esoteric explanation, but that's we don't have words for some of this stuff. The mm -hmm. English language doesn't really doesn't really cover it. So feel free to add into whatever I just said because that was yeah. Cool. No, it's all it's 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 all exactly what I was expecting there. And um, for for the listeners. If you're if you're open to exploring this, understand one thing: the concept is extremely simple, but it's not easy. It takes daily, ongoing, consistent—I don't know—quote unquote work, effort, deliberate um, interest in it. So it's not just going to be a switch and then it's done. It does take uh, consistent effort, if you will, but it's the kind of effort that I so enjoy because I came from decades of the opposite, which that is exhausting. That becomes so tiring to live in fear and anxiety and stress and worry and frustration and anger. It's just, it's just misery. So to be on this side of the equation, yeah, I'm willing to put in a little bit of effort to feel good. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny because one of the things he talks about all the time is this, okay, I'm going to do my yoga practice. I'm going to go do this thing. And he goes, what's funny is you don't write being on your list. Okay, I'm going to do being now. Are we, are we done doing being because it's really hard? You know, it's just about not doing actually, which is that sort of Buddhist questioning thing. What's the sound of one hand clapping? I mean, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's so the antithesis of of thinking. You can't think about being because as soon as you think about being, it becomes a thought form and then you're not being, you're doing. And it's like, ah, it becomes a that sort of circular, uh, you know, mind construct thing where you just have to fall into that and go, okay, I'm just going to be. <laughs> I got to hear how you arrived at all this. Take us back to the very beginning. What was Kathy Groover like as a young, young child? So picture me now, but three, um, I was just that I was this exact person then. And I just came back from one of my class reunions and, um, it was actually fascinating because we have this perception of ourselves. We have this memory of who we thought we were and how people treated us and nobody liked me and nobody said it. We actually don't know what anybody else is thinking of us. Frankly, it's none of our business really. I mean, if you think about it, but I got this interesting input from people that I had basically grown up with about how I was sort of scary because I was so headstrong and I didn't care what people thought and it didn't matter if I fit in. I just did what I wanted to do and, and, and people were jealous of that. And I'm kind of going, wait, me? Are you talking, you, you don't mean the person over there. Uh, so people had this perception of me that I got completely wrong, but I did know that I was very headstrong and very um, I was an only child, so I was raised to be very much an adult when I was a kid. Uh, I loved reading. I was the first one in class to volunteer for things, which, you know, is so endearing to the other children. Um, and I wasn't quite sure what to do with kids my own age. They confused me a lot. It seemed silly and sort of frivolous. And I would have rather have been talking to the teachers than talking to the other students. And so I, I didn't feel like I had a lot of friends because I didn't relate to kids my own age. So I think I just shot out of the womb like a 40-something-year-old. What was the home life like? Was it a, a loving and caring environment or was it a little chaotic? 
No, it was it was very loving and caring. Uh, my dad owned a little neighborhood paint store. Uh, my mom worked at home. You know, she was the housewife. She cleaned a lot, a lot of cleaning, a lot of cleaning. I think now, looking back, she made maybe had a little touch of OCD. Uh, she kept things very clean, lots of vacuuming. <laughs> uh, but she was she was sort of a control freak. Uh, unfortunately, she got sick when I was about twelve and ended up passing away when I was 18. So in that way, there was absolutely chaos in the house, but it became normal to me. It became normal for me to come home from school and not know if she was in pain, if she was crying, if she was asleep, if she was vomiting, if she was able to walk that day or not. So that became my new normal. Again, that's a homeostasis. Our body wants to find that place of normalcy and balance. So it takes the abnormal and makes it normal or else we'd completely lose our minds. So it was definitely chaotic near the end, uh, not knowing what was happening with her. But in general, it was very loving and pretty, pretty normal. What was she sick with at the time that you were 12? So she got cancer. Um, it was weird. It was a rare childhood cancer. So at the time, only 200 adults were ever diagnosed with it, which was really tough to treat because they had no treatment. If you got it as a kid, it, it was pretty much terminal. Uh, my remembrance of it, and it's, it's foggy because I was just a teenager, was uh, that most kids didn't make it past like two or three if they had this cancer. And for some reason, she got it as an adult, and they just didn't know what to do with it. And it was, you know, the 80s in Pittsburgh, where there weren't any options. You couldn't send her for acupuncture. They weren't talking about things like that. They looked at me like I was crazy. When as a 14-year-old, I'm like, hey, I read about this thing called acupuncture. Let's try that. They thought I was nuts. So they over-radiated her. They over-chemoed her. She did a lot of surgeries. And they basically killed her, you know, which that's, I hate to say that because it sounds so melodramatic, but I mean, really, that's sort of the truth. It was the, the treatment was worse than the disease. So you had um, six years with her, it sounds like, from the time of diagnosis. I, it sounds like you were close with her from the beginning and through the end. What was that time period like for the two of you? There was a lot of conflict, actually. She was, um, my mother was very critical and very controlling, and, and my dad was the fun one. He was the sports guy. He was the one that would run around the street with us and throw the football around. So I naturally more gravitated towards him. I was absolutely, and still am, daddy's little girl. So um, it sounds horrible to say, but my, <laughs> when my mom was sick, it was very inconvenient. Uh, she couldn't go out as much. She couldn't come see my dance recital. She couldn't. So there was a lot of tension between the two of us, uh, fighting with things. And because I was very rational, uh, I remember near the end, she was definitely having an addiction with morphine. They gave her liquid morphine, um, which was beautiful. It was this beautiful, I still remember the color. It was this beautiful azure blue. And I thought, wow, that's really probably not the best idea to make something that addictive, that beautiful color. Uh, but I remember she, she wanted it like every two hours instead of every four. And me being this, you know, ignorant kid, I'm like, no, 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 it says every four and you're going to get addicted and da, da, da. Well, little did I know she already was and she was terminal. So there was a lot of conflict near the end. Um, I can't imagine the amount of pain she was in. My father was amazing. He was changing uh, IVs and dealing with bed sores and dealing with her bowel issues. And, you know, so he was an amazing example for me. And I think that's one of the reasons I got into this field. It wasn't so much that she was sick that propelled me into this life. It was that he was so good as a caregiver, a caretaker. So, um, yeah, but I mean, that combination of things, you know, absolutely. And then not, her not having choices absolutely led me into having this, this life, this career. Hmm. And um, aside from home family life, what was your schooling life like? 
Yeah. Well, being that I was this way at whatever age that was, a um, lot of teasing, a lot of bullying. It was this, I can't do anything right thing. So if I raised my hand and I got the question right, I was showing off. Who did I think I was? And if I raised my hand and got the question wrong, it was, what are you stupid? What are you an idiot? So I got a lot of, a lot of, um, pushback from kids in school. I didn't dress right. I didn't walk right. My nose was too big. My hair was bad. My hair is still bad. It's just what it is. Uh, so they were actually right on that one. Uh, so, you know, it was just, it was tough because there was conflict everywhere. You know, school was not particularly a good place because of the bullying and the, the problems with the other kids. And then home was a little scary because I didn't know what I was going to face coming home to her every day. Um, but then I found theater and we talked about that. Theater was my saving grace. That, that, that absolutely saved me. I was going to ask through all this, because my goodness, so you had the home life to deal with and then the, the various forms of bullying in school. I was going to say, where did you find an outlet? And um, I have uh, a similar outlet. I spent 15 years as an actor, filmmaker, uh, as, as much of my adulthood, but of course, younger, and I, I was drawn to theater. I think that that's where... I found the comfort as well. Yeah, it was, um, it was an accepting environment. You know, it, to me, it was, that's where all the outcasts went. <laughs> you know, everybody that wanted to put on a wig and be goofy, you could, you could do that. Uh, it was a way to show those characters on stage. So if you were angry and you couldn't be angry in real life, do some improv, be an angry character. If you want to be, you know, if you want to yell and kick and scream, you can, Hey, let's do a scene where we're throwing a tantrum because I would really like that. You know, so it was it was this beautiful. You kind of have that agreement. Hey, I'm going to smack you around in this next scene. Yeah, <laughs> so you know? true. Uh, it's that yes and you know yes and and I've actually started doing improv. Oh gosh, for anybody listening that's in business or in that has not done improv, please go do an improv class. It you think on your feet. You you learn to accept what is given to you. Uh, I started doing improv in like seventh grade, and then I really got into theater in tenth in high school. Um, ninth grade it sort of kicked off. I was in the fifth grade play, the you know the glamour doll. It was a, a very pivotal role uh, in the Christmas play. But yeah, that, I mean that's what saved me. And then I became a theater major, and that's what brought me out to California. So that theater mm, line has always run through my life. That being on stage has always been incredibly natural for me. You're a smart woman. I want to get your thought going back, looking at this bullying, because uh, stereotypically, I always think when somebody gets bullied in that way, oh, they're jealous. And I think you hear that. Oh, they're just jealous of you. Whether or not that was the case, what do you, why do you think you were on the receiving end of all that? I think I was an easy target um, because I was sort of the different one. Um, because I portrayed myself, apparently, portrayed myself as somebody that was going to just do what they did and not care what anybody thought. I think that's incredibly threatening to other kids that age. Um, the bullying changed throughout the years in each segment of schooling. It was a different type of bullying um, or teasing. I mean, I don't know what the line is between teasing and bullying. When I was in grade school, there was a girl who, um, she just hated me. Um, and now I look back at that and I feel so bad at, my God, what must have her house been like? 
because she was so violent and so angry in fifth grade. I mean, this little girl with these little braids with all the little barrettes with the animals on them. And I remember at one point she just hauled off and smacked me across the face. And even then I remember thinking, how did you learn to do that? Like, why would you, why would you think to do that? Um, so I think part of it is, when you feel bad about yourself, you find somebody worse off that you can pick on to lift yourself up. Um, it feels bad to hate self, so you turn that on others. This is actually the book I'm working on right now is this us versus them thing. Uh, and I think I was, I, I mean, again, I think I was just an easy target. I wanted to read. I didn't want to engage in all this other stuff that the kids did. Did I look different? I don't think I look that different. Um, was my nose too big? Sure, it was because it's the same size as it is now, except on a fifth grade face, which, you know, just didn't quite work. Um, <laughs> not my fault. I was born that way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I really, I just think I was an easy target. I don't think people understood me at all. And I think there was some jealousy because I didn't, apparently didn't seem to care what anybody thought. And they did. Um, I don't know. I'd love to ask them. <laughs> Yeah. It seems like you have such a, um, uh, thank you for, for going there and trying to evaluate why they did what they did. Uh, but it's true. Like you said, uh, the phrase I've heard that just, um, I, I, I sat and pondered for hours after I saw this seemingly simple phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. I love it. Exactly. It makes so much I mean, sense. Yeah. It really does. It took me a second to get the intonation of what you were saying. But yeah, no, I mean, it is. And in researching the book that I'm doing right now and in talking to people who were in hate, previously in hate groups, uh, who were in Nazi, you know, skinhead gangs, uh, listening to them talk about their self-hatred and their self-loathing and why they turned that to others, man, it was really interesting. And I, I think there is part of... Um, uh, uh, jealousy on that. Uh, the one girl who beat me up at the bus stop, <laughs> who I'm actually really good friends with now, so I should probably say, dude, what was that about? Uh, I think it was a boy. I, I was funny in school. I my dad has a very quick wit, and I inherited that from him. So if there's an opening, I take it. And she and I were friends. We were in this group of people that were friends. And I remember that day when cute boy said something and I said something back and everybody laughed and she just kind of looked at me like, that's it, we're done. And I think there was that, why are you flirting with the boy I liked? Even though I wasn't probably flirting, I just took the opening to say something funny because I was the improv kid. You know, I don't know. I can't explain anything that happened, Jesus, 10 minutes ago, let alone 30 years ago. So. <laughs> oh God, I love you. Let me ask you this. Do you? <laughs> no, there's just so much that I could relate to. It's like, yeah, I, I get that all. Um, do you believe everything happens for a reason? Yes. Yep, I do. And I think, I know I'm a completely different person. I'm a better person because of what I went through with my mom and because I went through the bullying. Because with the bullying and the teasing, they were challenging my identity. And so I had to be very specific about who I was, about who I wanted to be, and I think that propelled me forward. Now, on the negative side of that, do I work my ass off because I have to prove something? I'm exploring that in therapy. But, you know, it's, um, you know, do I do this because I love it because I'm driven to do it because I want to help people? Or is there a little glimmer of, 
I have to prove I'm better than everybody said I was. I don't know. I was, I, I mean, I explored that. I love self-exploration. So I ask myself that all the time. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways? I am very spiritual. I am not at all religious. Uh, I was raised Catholic, did not like it. It didn't make any sense to me. Me being that rational, reasonable, logical person, the whole, you know, go into a little box with a priest and talk to the guy in the sky. I'm like, what now? Um, doesn't make sense. If it works for people, I would never tell you not to. Just don't make me do it. Um, I think both – I think spirituality, the spirituality of religion, we'll even say that, leads people to something good, or it should. That's the point of it, uh, to give people comfort in times when there's struggle, to give them something to um, – hang their hat on, to rely on, to, um, to make them better people. Now, I don't think we need religion or spirituality for that. I just spoke with an atheist who said, oh my gosh, if I'm only a good person for fear of the threatening guy in the sky, then that's kind of sad. He goes, I either am a good person or I'm not. I went, yeah, that's, that's true. But I think if it's done right, spirituality encourages us to love others and to love ourselves. What do you believe happens when it's all over, when our time here on Earth comes to an end? So I believe in uh, reincarnation. Uh, it's the one that makes the most sense to me. The, and I've thought about this a lot. The one and done where this is our only shot at it. We're born. We're part of the universe and we die. And that's it. No consciousness left, no soul left. Um, that doesn't make that doesn't ring true to me because then I say, what's the point? You know, why was I born into a middle class white family in Pittsburgh and somebody else is born in you know some slum in in wherever with one leg missing? And I mean, like, what, well, there's no there's, there's no fairity in that. And I know life's not fair, but to me, then what's the point? Um, the heaven or hell thing doesn't make any sense to me because it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and so I look at life sort of as schooling and lessons, and we learn stuff, and we grow, and we add things to our toolbox, then we come back, and then we do it again, and then we add more tools and more tools, and where it ends from there, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'll let you know when I get there. <laughs> Please do. You have, yeah. a, you have an extensive resume, incredible credits. I mean, we barely even scratched the surface here. Like I uh, said, we could have a podcast episode on all of these different topics, uh, breaking them down one by one. What in the world is next for you? Yeah, so I'm working on my next book. It's my eighth, and it's on us versus them. And the division that we're seeing in the world right now, the dehumanization, uh, it's not timely at all. Uh, because I just think it, it, it was a story that needed to be told. So I've been doing a, a, just phenomenal interviews with people from all over the world. So I'm working on that. I'm really doing more speaking. I would like to be, I will be speaking full time and doing the massage and hypnosis part time. Whereas now that's reversed. I'm still seeing clients mostly. And then the, the speaking is the part time thing. So I'm flipping that in the next year or two. And... Uh, you know, I don't know. I just say yes to things. I just say yes. So go for it is my motto. It's on my license plate. Uh, so when an opportunity presents itself, I say, yeah, why would I not do that thing? So I don't know where it's going to lead, but those two things I know. Next book and more speaking. Absolutely incredible. I will leave you with this final question. Dr. Kathy Groover, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, that's an easy one. Um, she was funny. She inspired me to 
change, and she goes for it. Absolutely spectacular, as was this dialogue. My goodness, I can go on for hours. I want to thank you, Dr. Kathy Groover, for spending your time and for your candor, for your personality, for your insight, for you. I'm a fan. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I appreciate every one of you who have stuck by this episode, have tuned in. If you enjoyed it, let us know. Say hello. And you know there's another episode coming right around the corner. If you found some value, go take one piece of action. Nothing gets done sitting on your couch doing nothing. Do a little bit of something. Just one thing. Make it happen. Until we make this happen again, thank you for tuning in. Go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.